We please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own, no help, with, no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save our lives. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we have better been doing. You may be seated. <clears throat> My name is Jim Hinkle. I'm one of the youth ministers here, and I'm thankful for the bandwidth and the space in this uh, community time, community celebration, to focus on missions and to hear from some of our students uh, who you will hear from um, in just a minute, those lucky enough to be drafted for the couch up front. Uh, Josh is preaching in Texas today uh, with, at his brother's church, so uh, we pray blessings on him. And we're just so glad that you're here this morning. If you uh, are a guest with us this morning, we really are honored that you came to be with us. You're kind of coming into a family meeting um, in a little bit of a way, uh, which maybe we're always having a little bit of a family meeting. But this morning, especially as we hear from our young people, um, <clears throat> This is a journey that we've all taken together because none of us went on any mission trip, stepped out and done, did any of the youth ministry trips this summer without the support and the love and the prayers of you. So this is a communal moment. And what we do today, even though um, you may not have eaten those crackers or drunk, drunk that juice box in Panama, you were there, you were a part of it uh, because God connects us in ways that we just fully can't explain. So Ephesians 2 is what Demetrius just read from. He was reading the message in case you didn't recognize that version. And the story of Ephesians 2 is our story. And it begins in a sad place. It begins in a place where we are dead in our transgressions. We were hopeless. We had nothing. And I'm a big sports fan. <coughs> And I don't know if you've had a feeling of hopelessness, but there's one moment that I've had less hope than any other moment in my, in my sports uh, life, my fan fandom. And it came on January 8th, 2000. And I don't know if any of you are NFL fans or Titans fans, but just out of curiosity, uh, if you know what this date is, raise your hand, I'm just curious. Okay, okay. So, <clears throat> a few people. This is the kicker for the Buffalo Bills, and he just kicked the go-ahead field goal with 20 seconds left. The clock ran down to 16 seconds in the playoff game against the Tennessee Titans. And it was their inaugural year in Nashville, 
And I know people in Memphis hated them because they were going to Nashville. But at that time, I lived in Nashville, so I liked them then. Don't worry, I hate them now. Um, <clears throat> it all works out, okay? And so, but at that moment, and I was fortunate enough to uh, have some tickets, and I was in that stadium, and it had been such an incredible year, and the Titans hadn't lost in their stadium all year. They were undefeated. And here they were playing in the wild card game, hosting it, and surely they were going to beat the Buffalo Bills. And slowly but surely, from my nosebleed seats, I just saw the Bills getting closer and closer and closer. And then they kicked this field goal to go up by one point. And it was utter despair. It was the saddest group of 70,000 people I've ever been with in a moment. Grown men weeping and crying. They didn't even know each other. Just like, come over here and hug me. Give me support right now. And it was so sad. It was hopeless. And then, and then, and then this happened. Let's show this video. Thank you, thank you. Should we act it out? Okay, okay, we'll act it out. Uh, no video, no, no go on the video? Okay, all right. So don't watch this video, but we'll act it out, okay? Okay, so let's see. Uh, Austin, come here, you're gonna be Frank Wycheck. Okay, you're gonna be Frank Wycheck. And let's see, Nyla, you're gonna be Lorenzo Neal. Okay, you're right there. Cole, you're gonna be Kevin Dyson, all right? And McLean, you're going to be Jim Hinkle crying in the stands, okay? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so what happens is the Buffalo Bills kick off, and it goes to Lorenzo Neal. So catch the ball, Lorenzo. You got it. Okay. <laughs> 16 seconds left. There's no way they're going to run back, right? The, the Buffalo Bills know they're going to do some kind of trick play, and it's not going to happen. So what do you do, Lorenzo? You pitch it to Frank Wycheck. Yeah, there you go. You pitch it like that. And Frank Wycheck gets it. And Frank Wycheck grabs it, and he gets ready. He takes a step, gets ready to run. Buffalo's defense all coming over to this side. And then what do you do, Frank? <laughs> yeah, something like that. You take the ball, and you throw it on a straight line. There's some controversy about this play being a forward pass. But it's been, it's been determined scientifically it was a backwards throw, so it's legal. So you throw it all the way to Kevin Dyson, and Kevin Dyson catches the ball, and he runs down the sideline. And then Jim Hinkle jumps up for joy and hugs the man next to him, whoever that is, I don't know. And 70,000 people go from the pit of despair to the brink of celebration mania, nirvana. They don't know what to do. And sure enough, there was no flag. And that is actually what is now referred to as the Music City Miracle. Please give our football players a big round of applause. <clears throat> so in that moment... <laughs> That was kind of fun. Good job, guys. I didn't really know that was going to happen. But that Music City miracle did turn the story upside down. And it's just a sports moment. It, it, it didn't last. They did win the next couple games, and then they ended up a foot short of tying the Rams in the Super Bowl. But that's another story. But our story 
is that story where we are behind by a point and we literally have no hope. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians, that you were dead. Not you were almost dead, not that you had a little bit of life, a little bit of blood flowing through you, but that in fact, when God reached to us, we had nothing. And so in verse four of Ephesians two, God puts this big, beautiful word after he's talked about where we were. We were hopeless, we were dead, we were crying in the stands, trying to console each other, but, and when God puts a but in there, you better watch out because the story is about to change and the script is about to flip. And so because God shows up in verse four, he says, but this God who was rich in mercy. So that's how the story is going to go. This God who, because of his great love, but God raised us up. So God is showing up in the midst of despair and saying that when you were unlovable, that's when I chose to reach out and to love you. And I chose to bring you from a place of hopelessness into a life of hope. And that is the gospel. And that is where we get up to Ephesians 2.10, which says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So without the death and without the hopelessness, it doesn't mean as much to know that we are God's workmanship, but that's, that's where we were. That's where we were. That's who we were. And now we are works in progress. We are works in progress uh, because God is working on us. So we have to walk with humility whenever we walk into the world. But we have a mission. Ephesians 2 is this is who you were and God did something to you. So when you have a story to share, you walk humbly and you share it humbly because you are not the hero of the story. God is, amen? And secondly, in Ephesians 2, if you look at the context, Paul is trying to bring two separate entities together. He's bringing the Jews and the Gentiles under one narrative, under one story because they share the same story. The Jews, the Gentiles, they were both hopeless and dead in their transgressions, but God. So <clears throat> the story where God loves them when they were unlovable applies to both sides. And an oversimplified synopsis of this passage is simply this. God made us something when we were nothing, and he's got plans for us. So... That's what the idea of work in progress is about, which was our summer theme, and you'll see it on these blue t-shirts, because God made us his handiwork, his creation, a beautiful work of art in Jesus. Now, we go instead of keeping it to ourselves. As works in progress, we go where some people say we shouldn't go because it's too dangerous, or it's too much effort, or those people aren't worth the time or they won't listen, or they hate us. And it's in the going as works in progress, and it's in the going that we join the work in progress. So we are works in progress, but there's also, according to Ephesians 2.10, there is work 
in progress. And it's in the going that we see the kingdom of God breaking forth in unexpected and almost hidden ways. When we go, we lose control and we trade, dis- we trade our comfort for discomfort. As we go, we realize that they are actually a lot more like us than we ever know, than we ever knew. And it's in the going that we experience how the problems and the hurts of the world are actually on a collision course with the followers of Jesus who've been equipped with everything we need to find answers, to defeat Satan, and to bring healing to our brokenness. So as we works in progress connect with the work in progress, Ephesians 2.10 comes to life because we are God's workmanship. He is crafting us into something more incredible than we could ever be without him. And it's not just for ourselves. It's not so we can throw our arms around each other, look at each other and say, ain't this great that we are God's children. You're his son, you're his daughter, and so am I. And we're going to have a happy, holy huddle here together. That is not the point. God says, now that I've saved you and I've built you into something beautiful, I'm going to send you. And I'm going to send you into places and things and to people that I've already planned in advance for you to do. Places where I planned for you to go long before you ever had an idea that that was a place you were going to go. Because God's like that. He's powerful. He can do it. And so I'm thankful to be a part of a church family that gives voice to mission, that gives voice to going and not just staying, to giving and not just keeping, to loving and not just staying uh, in the holy huddle. And I'm thankful to be on a stage with some people who I think do this really, really well. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to give them the microphone and ask them to talk about how they, as works in progress, connected with the kingdom of God, how they connected with the work in progress and in the going, how they saw God at work. And so you're going to hear about four different mission experiences, Memphis Work Camp, Mission Memphis, uh, Camp Cottle, which was a new, new thing we did. Cole will explain that. And then our mission trip to Panama. And I know you'll be blessed. And I hope you will hear these works in progress talk about the work that they got to do. So the work that I did this summer was work camp, and work camp is a a group of churches and youth groups from a lot from Memphis and some from a lot farther away come, and we come together and paint houses in communities. Lots of time they're in Orange Mound and Binghampton, and like Jim said, lots of times people will say that those are areas we probably shouldn't be in because they're dangerous and because that's not place where places where people like us should be. And uh, we always have people in the communities who will come and say, well, why are you guys doing this? And we've had people, most years I've had someone come up to us and say, well, what kind of juvie release are you guys doing to paint houses? <laughs> and we have, usually there's a couple responses we get when we'll tell people that we're doing it just because and that we're paying to do it. And those responses are, one is, that's great, you guys are really doing work out here, and the other is, you guys are crazier than I thought before. (laughs) And one group of students painting a house for one week seems like such a a small service for us to do in the entirety of Memphis, but we have hundreds of students every year, and this year we had 18 teams each painting a different house. 
And over the course of work camp, which this was the 30th year, we've painted hundreds of houses. And it really shows what we can do if we all come together. And uh, God has prepared work camp for us in so many ways. He's prepared work camp every year in the houses that we've He's presented opportunities in the houses that he's given us to paint. He's presented opportunities in drawing attention to work camp over the years. We've been on the news before, and there's just so much preparation in the past 29 years leading up to this year that have allowed us to do so much work this year in that we have so much attention and there's so many people who are watching us do this work. And work camp grows every year. And God really uses it to work on Memphis and on us, the workers. Good morning, church. My name is Nyla Lee, if you didn't know me. And I had the amazing experience of going on the Mission Memphis trip this year. So my team and I had a great time going around Memphis to so many different places, helping out and doing community service. But the place that really stood out to me was St. Mary's. The service at St. Mary's was um, quite different from what we do here. Um, for instance, the um, communion, um, they had a literal loaf of bread rather than crackers. And instead of grape juice in a little plastic cup, they had um, wine in an actual like cup that you uh, put wine in. <laughs> Um, after the service, St. Mary's hosted a breakfast for all the homeless, jobless, and the really um, poor people in Memphis. The fact that St. Mary's um, invites these people in just tells them that God will invite you in and accept you no matter how you look, smell, act, or what you did in the past. Our mission there was to help the people with their trays and we got their drinks. We also had to talk to them and write encouraging notes to give them as they walked out. I don't know about you, but for me, it is really hard to go up to a stranger and just start a conversation with them. So I had to step out of my comfort zone and open up to people. We also went to a place called Constance Abbey. Constance Abbey is kind of like a homeless shelter, but you get clothes, shoes, food, and a shower there. They also worship Christ there. I think God put this place here in Memphis knowing that we would go there one day to see his work in progress. Our job was to fold clothes, hang up, also to hang up clothes that was donated to Constance Abbey. I saw everyone working in unison and not complaining about the work. I thought that was a beautiful thing to see because we could have been doing so many other fun things, but instead we were folding and hanging up clothes, which is kind of a boring thing to do. <laughs> um, but we made fun of it. Um, for example, when we were folding clothes, um, I have a certain way I like the clothes to be folded. So if I like, if I had saw someone folded differently, I would literally pick it up and refold it and put it back. <laughs> and so we just all started laughing and it was really fun. All in all, this trip really helped me to be more open and more social with people that I don't really know. And I think that this trip um, really taught me that God has so many works in progress and that we have some of his work in progress. Hi, uh, I'm Cole Galbraith. I, along with the rest of the 8th and ninth graders of the youth group, uh, we went to Camp Cottle this summer. And our job there was we were counselors uh, for different, different ages of kids. It was, I think, from 2nd to 6th grade kids. Um, and I specifically was in charge of a cabin of 4th grade boys 
which as I'm sure most of you know is a job. So our job this week was, as I said, being counselors. And I think one of the things that God really taught us was that we don't need to judge kids by the way that they act or the way that they are around other kids and the trouble that they cause because what a lot of us found was that the most troubled kids at this camp actually came from the most broken homes at that camp and they came from the most broken lifestyles and they had the most pain in their hearts they just had a lot of baggage and for some fourth grade boys they had gone through a lot of stuff and so I think one of the things that we really uh, were shown that week from God was that even though these kids are as young as they are, they actually do go through so much. And just because they act up doesn't mean that they're bad kids or that they're, they're just not smart kids. It, does, it doesn't mean that. It means that they just want to be loved and they just want attention. And um, so God really taught us how to deal with that that week and just really taught us how to uh, be with these kids and to learn from them. So that was, that was our experience. Hi, I'm McLean Ramsey. Um, I, with the 10th, 11th, and graduated seniors, went to um, Panama. We stayed in Panama City uh, back in June. And we, what we did was we would get up in the morning and we would split up the group in half and half of us would go to one school and half of us would go to another school and we would do VBS. And then in the afternoon, we would come home to our campground and we would have a youth group from Panama City, the, the church we were actually going to work with. Their youth group came and they hung out with us while we were there. So the first day, well, back up. Before we left, Miss Rachel Galbraith was my uh, work camp leader um, at work camp. And we were talking about how a little apprehensive we were about, you know, the language barrier and older kids rather than younger kids. And you can't just like pick them up and throw them around like you could little kids because that'd be weird and very hard. And so we were talking about that. And later on, this youth group shows up. So we're in Panama and I was in our dorm area thing that you sleep in. And um, they said, hey, the, the youth group's here. Y'all should come out and meet them. So we got up and went in there. And um, I walked in. And I don't know. They had been there for like 10 maybe minutes. And um, there was a table full of just Sycamore View and the West Panama group. Like it wasn't two separate tables. It was one big table they had pushed together because they couldn't fit everybody at one table. And it was so cool to see that those hearts had been prepared for us to come and our hearts were, had been prepared for us to go as well. So uh, later on in the evening time, we would go to different churches a couple nights, and we went door knocking and would hand flyers out about the church services that we were attending. And Miss Rachel and I actually were paired together. And we were paired with two girls, Isabel and Soul. And the apprehension that we had talked about in work camp, we shouldn't have even talked about it because like, it was gone as soon as we got there because those girls were um, 
open-hearted and they loved us and they just wanted to be our friend and we would joke around with them and they were nervous to go up to the doors and we were nervous to go up to the doors so we kept telling them it was their turn but they kept telling us it was, th it was our turn and so it was just fun and it was just a testament the whole entire trip was uh, that God prepares these things in advance for us to go to and it's nothing that any of us could have done Jim, Anna, Gonzalo none of them could have put these hearts where they were ours or theirs um, to receive each other so Knowing that we share the same story shrinks the gap and shrinks the distance. And so Austin painting a house in Binghamton or Orange Mound and meeting a, a homeowner whose life in many ways may look very different from, from his, you guys shared the same story. Nyla uh, spending time with um, homeless men at Constance Abbey and serving them breakfast at St. Mary's Episcopal Cathedral. That's, you've never been a homeless man, Nyla, and yet that's, that's your story. Like, it's the same story. Cole, counseling um, inner city kids from Little Rock up in the Ozarks at a camp. Um, th the world says, man, that is a different, there, there's nothing you have in common with those people. And yet God says, actually, the, you have the same story. <laughs> and going to Panama with fears of language barriers and culture barriers, God says, it's the same story. It's the same story. And so we, we believe in this author, this divine author that starts us and finds us in a place where we're unloved and we're hopeless. And he steps in because of his great love for us and says, I have a job for you. I have a place for you. I have a role for you. And, and I love that we can trust God as works in progress, that we can be part of each other's story in the big picture, but then we can also in the small picture sometimes have these moments where we realize we're part of something much, much bigger. And I want to show, do we have the missions video? All right. We're going to show this video, and I hope in a, in a small way this helps you connect um, the, the big sovereignty of God into some small uh, personal ways into this church as you guys see people and faces you know and you help support and help send um, in this video. So let's watch this. spoke a word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you have been so so kind to me Yeah. 
So we all share this story because we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, and we all have this work to do. And somehow the sovereignty of God weaves this tapestry into our lives that we can't fully explain and understand. And Memphis Work Camp in 30 years hasn't ended dilapidated houses in Memphis, but I, th I think it's closed the gap between people who the world says, you've got nothing in common with each other. And our mission says, actually, it's the same story. And you can go right through the, the, the trips, the experiences and say, they're all part of what it, God is up to. And every now and then God breaks through and he gives you one of those moments where you see, wow, God showed up in a very concrete way through his sovereignty. And I had one of those moments. It didn't happen on a mission trip, but it did happen on a youth group trip just two weeks ago. We were in Colorado with our juniors and seniors uh, doing our, our kind of rite of passage uh, event called Trek, where we um, have a week of discipleship and backpacking in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains. And so <clears throat> we were taking a break. It was an extremely difficult climb, full pack. And Carl Helton, our guide, and I, we walked up a little way to kind of scout and see, is there any relief in sight? I was tired. I was a little scared too because we, we thought we had a long way to go. And we were walking on this deserted mountain path and we come across a group of people and it's a group of teenagers doing what we're doing. And we start talking to the guy and the guy comes up and uh, he starts talking to me and telling me that they're doing something very similar to what we're doing. And uh, I said, what's your name? And he said, Matt Helm. And I said, Matt Helm, I'm Jim Hinkle. And he goes, no way. Now that doesn't mean anything to you guys, but I'll tell you who Matt Helm was. So in high school, I was in York, Nebraska, and uh, that's where I grew up. And my parents both worked at York College. And Matt Helm was a college student at York College. And I haven't seen Matt since I was in high school and he was in college. And so we're meeting each other in the middle of the mountains. And he says, I've been a youth minister for 26 years. I'm like, I've been one for 22. That's crazy. Haven't seen you in forever. And then he looks to his group and he says, hey, guys, you remember that guy I was telling you about last night? <laughs> it's, it's not me. But they said, this is, they said, this is his son. He said, your dad called me into ministry. My dad was a Bible professor at York College, and Matt wanted to do something different. And, and my dad said, no, you're going to be a youth minister. <laughs> and Matt said, no, I'm not. And he said, yeah, yeah, you are. And Matt, the night before, had just shared his testimony with his youth group that there was this guy 20-plus years ago named Dr. Hinkle who had called him and seen something in his life and called him out on that. And then I said, now, Matt, who did you marry? I, I can't remember. And he said, I married Margie McClung. I said, aha, was her dad a missionary in Costa Rica like 30-something, maybe 40 years ago? He said, yeah, he was. I said, he converted, this is good, <laughs> he converted an 18-year-old named Gonzalo Salinas. And I said, that's where we were last month with Gonzalo Salinas, the missionary in Panama that was converted 
to Jesus by your father-in-law. Man, don't tell me God can't do some crazy stuff. And I, I just get to sit back and say, who's, who's the Costa Rican missionary that's changing a life that, that my children and my grandchildren are going to grow into? And they're going to go and they're going to hear these stories of faithfulness. We can't make this stuff up. But God, but God, because of his great love, because he is rich in mercy, he has raised us up and seated us at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. And he has created us as God's workmanship, as works of art, as his handiwork. And he's prepared things for us to do that we can't even imagine. And we're going to walk through them. And it might just be across the street. It might be across the school hallway. It might be across the cubicle. It might be across the living room. Or it might be across the continent or across the world. God knows. And so our job is to remember that we once were hopeless. Now we have hope. And that's the same story that everybody around us gets to live out. And so this morning, I pray that these testimonies are a challenge to you. I pray that they'll help us live more boldly and live less comfortably in a world that says, it's all for you, keep it to yourself. And God says, it's not for you. Enjoy it, but share it with others because that's why I'm blessing you. And so wherever God's calling you today, across the room or across the world, I pray that you'll remember these students and some of these images and just say, if they can do it, I can too. I can too. For we are all God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing. If you want to respond this morning publicly, one of our shepherds will be right here and he can share your concerns with the whole church. We'll have prayer leaders scattered all over the outside of this room. If you want to go pray privately with somebody, please do that and let's worship the Lord together.